Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 27 with Paul Cowley, the co-founder and director of Thunder Insurance. And I know what you're thinking straight away, insurance, how boring. However, esports is a business like we talk about many, many times. And, you know, as with any business, you need a good lawyer, a good accountant, and also a good insurer. And we actually have a very interesting chat about some of the liabilities and gaps within the market. There's definitely a lot of homages paid to the issues with describing esports to a new industry, to non-endemics and people that don't understand and how they try to sit in the middle and help protect teams, players and companies with what they do. So without further ado, we'll get into it straight after a message from our sponsor. We've chosen PLE Computers as a supporter of Big Esports because they believe in supporting the growth of the market just like we do. What we're really excited to work with them with is a whole bunch of initiatives, anything from our coursework teaching people about how to open up their own esports startups or get a job in the industry or transfer from others, to creating live meets for people to meet together to network and develop new partnerships and opportunities to this online podcast as well. Pele Computers is one of the largest online PC retailers in Australia, focusing on gaming and performance hardware. So you can check them out if you're interested in buying any new products or purchasing a brand new gaming PC. All welcome. Thanks for coming in today. It seems like it's the first day of winter here in Melbourne. We're starting to get a bit cold. Oh, it is indeed, Chris. It's um, it's a beautiful day, actually. Uh, I must say I like leaving summer. I think winter is certainly my season. <laughs> number one number one gaming weather, you would yeah. say. I saw this great picture. Before we started, I saw this fantastic picture. It was, about, um, it was like a meme about gaming and it was someone looking out a window. It's raining. They're like, oh, perfect gaming weather. Sunny and hot, perfect gaming weather. Like snow, perfect gaming weather. Nighttime, perfect gaming weather. Any reason, yeah? Yeah, any, any reason. reason. <laughs> yeah, so jumping straight into it, can you let us know a little bit about yourself and, and kind of your work in the past up to what you're doing today? Oh, look, definitely, definitely. Well, today we're, we're, I'm here to sort of uh, represent uh, my company. I'm a co-founder, director of Thunder Insurance, along with E.L. Maclis, who is my business partner. Mm-hmm. And we are a insurer, which essentially provides uh, very niche insurance for the gaming industry. And I mean, Chris, you as we've sp- uh, spoken about previously, we're talking esports, we're talking game development, we're talking events, mm. um, even broadcasters of uh, esports. So, um, I mean, just to quickly speak a little bit about myself, um, I've been in insurance for about 20 years now. Um, when I realised I'd hit two decades, that was a, a bit of a, a watershed moment, I have to admit. <laughs> and uh, in that time, I worked specifically within underwriting for the bulk of that time. And underwriting is effectively looking at risk and understanding exposures. Mm-hmm. And it was our job to put together what we call the policy wording, which is that dreaded wording, um, which a lot of people get when you get an insurance policy. You're thinking, what is all this wording? Well, you know what? That comes from underwriters and from someone like myself. So, look, after 20 years of working in insurance, as well as my business partner as well, which, uh, look, EL's got extensive experience with within marketing, business, um, insurance, executive levels, and all the sort. We worked together for many years and effectively we came to a point a number of years ago when we realised that the gaming industry was really falling short for being serviced by the insurance industry. And so look, I have a passion for gaming. So does EL. Uh, we've been playing Call of Duty since the uh, since the 90s and mm. uh, we'd be in a, you know, in a room with all our um, desktop computers running about 12 computers at a time on a LAN network and uh, 
Yeah, so we've, we've look, we've been adamant gamers ourselves, and uh, essentially this opportunity arose a number of years ago, following a conversation with people within the industry, uh, where we realised that there was these huge exposures that A, had never been considered, and um, we thought, we can do this. Um, we've got the understanding, um, we've got the love for the industry, and that's where Thunder Insurance was born out of, I have to admit. Mm. So I guess uh, before before we get into some more of it, just want you to identify what exposures mean. Like, what do you mean by the word exposures? Oh, well, look, that's very good. Um, from an underwriting standpoint or from an insurance standpoint, exposures can be something as simple as an asset. So it can be this room that we're in right now. This, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sound equipment. Um, there's some visual equipment here as well, and this has an inherent value. So if we lost this all today there is a replacement value for this. We'd need to go to the shops and purchase that again. That is your exposure. Now, that's a very, that's a very easy thing to see because it's, um, you know, you can, you can hold it, you can touch it. It's something which is, which is evident. Then you've also got things which we call contractual exposures, mm-hmm. legislative exposures, statutory requirements, your professional indemnity type exposures. And this sort of goes back to understanding that uh, it doesn't matter what industry we're in, um, by being out in public, um, by conducting our businesses the way we do, um, there is a level of exposure. I, I think the easiest way to sort of understand this is to bring it back to what we're doing, which is, you know, let's talk esports. That's probably a really good way of putting this. Now, within esports, you generally find the basic exposure or the general exposure most people are talking about is public liability. And that says, when I'm out there acting as an esports individual or an owner, the activities of my business can sometimes have an impact on those people around us. It may be as simple as someone tripping over a wire um, or tripping over a chair which you brought for your business. That's what we call a slip and fall. Mm-hmm. It's, a, um, it's a personal injury type exposure. So I, I can talk exposures for, for hours. Yeah. And Chris, we're going to be very careful about not just not going for too many rambling. Hours. That's, That's right. That's very true. That's very true. So I guess let's let's start off super generalist and then we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit deeper, which is you know usually what we do. Um, and for anyone listening, you know you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash twenty seven to get any of the show notes and any of the links to what we talk about today. Um, and obviously, as always, that's the number two seven in twenty seven. But Paul, I want to ask you, um, what's your what's your purpose in the market? What don't the insurers currently offer in an elevator pitch? Very good. Uh- what the insurance market is not doing, firstly, is they don't understand what the gaming industry is. Now, they understand what game developers are because they understand um, effectively it's very similar to the rest of the entertainment industry with film, television, advertising. But just something as simple as having a conversation about esports. And I'm sure I'm not the only person here that there's many people within the industry that have said, what is esports? Mm. And then you go on to explain that, you know, esports is a, you know, it is competitive um, it is competitive nature. It is it is a professional sport um, that's played within you know certain environments around the world, and just trying to have that conversation with the industry, and that lack of understanding with insurance means that what we're finding is that the business descriptions noted on insurance policies are completely incorrect, and therefore leaving a lot of our industry exposed, um, not understanding the cyber liability exposures of the industry, not understanding the interaction of sponsorships with a lot of our startup groups and you know companies such as yours, and how, how that interacts with actually producing a, a working model. Now, all of this leads to exposures. Now, what we do as Thunder Insurance is we've gone to the industry, we've spoken with the underwriters, we've had the wordings changed to reflect exactly what you do, 
um, to make sure that you, you understand that it is a competitive game, for instance, with esports, that we do travel around, but it's not to the same extent um, of a similar exposure with a physical type exposure when you're playing rugby, let's say, or playing AFL, where people can be physically harmed because, you know, they're constantly, it's a high heart rate type, you know, um, sport. So yeah. it's understanding these differences, which is the most imperative thing that we've been able to transfer into the insurance industry to get the relevant terms for our clients. It sounds to me almost like, to, to crudely break it down, similar to when I was a community manager, is I'm trying to be the filter between what the gamers think, but also talking to the corporates at the same time. I'm trying to speak the same language or two different languages, being an interpreter of sorts between kind of the two. And I guess, you know, like you were saying, is, is very similar to where companies like Big and, and so many other consultants and agencies even sit in the area where they're going to brands that say, I have no idea what esports is who have no idea what esports is let us be your guide you know let us sit in the middle and try to understand both sides of the market to do the to do the legal speak on one side but then also do the gamer speak on the other to help you know people understand what they're getting into uh, look i think that's very astute you're you're exactly right we yeah. we do act as a filter um and a translator of um of such because you Clearly, we've educated the insurance industry to have a better understanding of where um, our industry needs yeah. are. Yep. Um, and, you know, and understanding that <laughs> a lot of this industry is a grassroots industry, that you do have a lot of startups. Uh, a lot of people are not flush with cash. And a lot of the concern with insurance in the past is, is that um, you'd get bundled in with the rest of the entertainment industry. And the premiums were, I wouldn't say were commensurate with the true exposure of this industry. So, mm. yes, you're right. We do act as a filter. We advocate for our industry. But there's still a lot to do. Now that we've been able to educate a lot more of the insurers, there's a lot more to do within our industry, within the esports team owners, um, events and all this to understand where the insurance is required. Um, and as you build your business, what is the most appropriate way to proceed? Yeah. And it's it's overall so much of an education process, right? Like like a lot of the time in the past, I, I like to take industries, like this is for me personally, I like to take industries where people don't understand their value or how to make money and teach them. But often it's for both sides of the fence. So a direct example is I worked with PC modders a lot in the past, so people who modify, cut up PCs, make them look and they had no idea how to make money. They were just doing a lot of work for free. They were putting 20, 30, 40 hours into it with Facebook pages of 20,000 plus likes, um, you know, making these fantastic machines, shipping them off their own back. The companies were providing them, but it was because the company didn't know how much to pay, how much value that was worth. But also the modder didn't have any idea. They didn't have an Australian business number. They didn't know how to send an invoice. So it's that same, and I feel like it's, it's a lot of the same where you're sitting right now, is not only do you have to educate the insurer on what esports is and get them to mm. understand, but also you need to go to a team owner and say, hey, insurance is a real thing. Like you're mm. very likely that they've got their car insured through third party or they understand what TAC and, and you know, road cover is. But, you know, it's it seems to be quite unlikely in the market that, that um, teams and such are unsured. So are you are you seeing that trend? Is, it, is there a kind of, I don't want to say criminally unsured, but is there a, a complete lack of insurance you can see in the esports industry? Well, I think it's a fair thing to say, Chris, that we've got a lot of amateur um, groups, which mm. are sometimes um, moving across into professionals. So there does yeah. come a stage in which, yes, you are finding there's a lot of amateur groups which don't hold any insurance, yeah. um, essentially flying by the seat of their pants, um, hoping to get to that point where they're um, receiving revenue or investment uh, from sponsors and which would allow them to start oper operating in a more corporate sense. Yeah. So, yes, there is... Um, a lot of people that we have spoken to in the industry either have the bare minimum um, mm -hmm. and the bare minimum seems to be public liability. Yeah. 
um, which would just, and the reason for that is if you want as a team to turn up at a particular event, which is hosted by, you know, a, a, a larger, maybe it's ESL or, you know, any of the larger broadcasters. Mm-hmm. And we're now starting to find that the contracts require the teams to turn up with public liability. So that's usually when we're getting the call. It's yeah. like, oh, we have this requirement to turn up next week and put our public liability in place. So that's the first port of call. And um, But yes, a good bulk of this industry is running on very, very old, either no insurance or just the the bare minimum. Yeah. And I guess I want to... You know, want to make sure for those people listening that I'm not trying to turn this into an ad for Thunder directly, but more so for me, an ad for insurance directly, because it's a, it's a, as a business owner myself and someone who's been in the industry a long time, it's a definite concern, um, and it's something that the mainstream media are going to take to the polls. It's something that um, you know is could scare investors off and such as well. If if you know people start finding out like we did many years ago that hey, most of these. Um, esports teams aren't even, weren't even registered as businesses in the past. So it's like, what am I really sponsoring if I'm sponsoring someone? And the same now goes, you know, it should be that insurance question. And yes, you're definitely right that, you know, esports traditionally, it's in a startup mode at the moment. You know, you guys are in a startup mode. We're in a startup mode. Most of the teams are as well. Even the ones that are raising 30 million are still functioning as startups with small amounts of staff and, you know, still fighting to get capital and growth. But, you know, that comes with the the risk that the people don't know what they're doing. They're coming from being a player. You know, I didn't start off with a business degree. And as with most people in the niche esports space, we started off as players or commentators or, and went, you know what, I think marketing's pretty cool. I might go and do that for a while. But yeah, definitely want to, you know, state that this podcast is is kind of an ad for insurance in general. Is that something that that people should definitely look at? But what I, what I want to ask you to, to help quantify is kind of what are what are the main differences between personal protection versus business protection? We mentioned before that most people understand, um, you know, what third-party insurance for an automobile might be or home and contents insurance if your house gets broken into your TV stolen. But what are the basic covers for business protection? Well, no, that's actually a good point. I mean, look, I can quickly explain what the difference between personal, which I think you've done a good job at, which is, you know, it's your own car, it's your home, it's your contents. It's uh, your travel insurance. Um, it could also be your personal accident insurance in case you get ill. So a lot of people can find it very easy to understand what affects me as the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, from a business perspective, um, this is where, look, I mean, I think a lot of people are aware they've got certain exposures. There's no doubt about that. But generally, it's it's one of the last port of calls or the last insurances that are taken up. Now, with business insurance, it's, it's very simply, um, it's this. Um, you have a business. And day to day, you need to operate your business. Um, what does it take for you to operate your business? I mean, firstly, it might require a car. It might require equipment. Um, it also might require you being able to operate within the guidelines of whatever um, jurisdiction you have to work within. Mm-hmm. Um, defamation, discrimination, you know, your employment contracts, the way you deal with your employees. These are all the things which, which it's all about your interactions as part of your business, um, which is all part of your exposures. So if you lost all your assets one day, all mm-hmm. your equipment, um, what would it take for you to replace all that equipment and still maintain your business? Um, what would happen if, uh, as a business, especially this, I think this really goes to the heart of what we're seeing within our industry. There's two covers I really want to focus on because there's lots of insurance covers. Management liability. Now, management liability, it understands the exposures of the business and the directors of that business to operate within certain guidelines um, mm. to treat their employees well. I'm sorry, their employees well. Um, 
in the event that the business is found, well, you could potentially receive a writ for acting inappropriately or breach of sponsorship um, contract arrangements you may have. Mm. Um, these are the sort of things that businesses really need to look at because once you start involving third parties, um, you don't want to be tied up with legal proceedings, which in effect could really sink your business. Yeah. Um, one of the other uh, um, exposures that we're really are truly finding evident here is travel insurance for our esports teams. Big issue that we've found is a lot of the travel insurance for our professional esports teams don't cover professional sports people. That's a worry because it means if one of your players are actually injured when overseas, that in effect there is no cover at this stage. And whether or not that hasn't been disclosed at the outset or not, that's fine. This is what we do as Thunder Insurance. We've been very much focused on this, and um, and El uh, Macklis, my business partner, will attest to this. Uh, one of the concerns that we do have, and we've found this with other industries, we're talking, and I've worked comprehensively within the movie industry with a lot of film sets. Um, when actors or even employees of um, of sets or esports teams die when they're overseas. There's a really nasty cover, which is called repatriation cover, which is bringing someone back from overseas. This can cost hundreds and thousands of dollars. And mm. at times, this could be um, the employer could be liable for this, whether or not you contract your team members into your team or whether or not they're your team members. Um, you're responsible. You're sending your team overseas for business. You need to bring them back. So business exposures are so wide and um, and varied and it really depends on you as a business so what I say to you Chris is very different to what I might say to an esports owner um, team owner or yeah. to a game developer or where they're at with their with their revenue so it's really important to understand there is no clear line of this is what you need yeah it is dependent on you um, everything should be bespoke depending on that business mm. and what what are some of the you know most most likely scenarios where some kind of insurance would come into play for a team? Well, um, what we've seen, um, and we've actually seen this, there is a case of an esports player that's broken his arm at an event. Now, there's two questions there when who's liable for that. Maybe mm. that's, I think what's more important here is that we've seen a situation where someone who intends to play professionally for a long time has broken their wrist. Now, you need your wrist to play. Mm. Um, so... In this instance, the, these were not clients of ours, but we do know of this of this situation. The workers' comp um, insurance, which is very important, by the way, all people that have a business with um, a number of employees over and generate over seven and a half thousand dollars, should have workers' compensation. Yeah. And it's not expensive. Either. No, it's not, is no. it? It's. Um, but the thing is, you actually you're required to get this. Um, this is something that all states in Australia do require that all employees have in place, and mm. that's to protect your workers. Um, so, look, we, we have seen that. We've also seen what we call employer, employer practices liability type exposures. So, people work for you. They're responsible for you. What comes out of their mouth, there's a certain level of um, liability that you hold for the way in which they act. Um, hopefully, obviously, we want most people to act within appropriate guidelines, but sometimes things happen. There's events. Um, inappropriate words may be said, um, this can have an impact on your business. So these are the type of things that we have seen, and this is in the last six months we've seen this situation arise. Um, and that's just two very quick examples. And then separate of that, um, we've also seen a lot of um, baggage loss when traveling. So a couple of teams have lost their ergonomic uh, equipment when they're traveling. And so therefore it would have been nice to have that at the event, but they had to actually get that back when they got back to Australia. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. And I guess a lot of what I'm get, getting out of this as well, uh, like what you were saying about 
likening between professional sports people and traditional business is that what now that esports is growing and developing and becoming a very serious and real market, that insurance is something that people are going to start asking for when you go into events, whether you're a team that's required to have it as part of your contract to play in a large Intel Extreme Masters event or Dota 2 International or such, or whether it's a sponsor coming to you and saying, okay, what am I actually sponsoring and how am I protected? You know, if you're if you're like most esports teams and you're looking to sign a, you know, 50K plus a quarter deal, uh, which, mm. which many are at the moment, especially in our, in our region here in Australia, you want to have that, that coverage to be able to back that up. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's, you know, one of the inherent risks, right, of, of esports. And if you take it once again back to the business sense, a lot of the reason that, that brands don't want to get into games is because there's no governing body. Um, there's so many risks involved with the governing body aspect. You know, there's not proper contracts in place. What am I sponsoring? What am I getting out of it, et cetera? Et cetera. You're right. It, it's essentially business 101, and it's not just a, um, these issues that affect just the gaming industry. Mm. This, this affects um, all industries, you know, Australia-wide and worldwide, really which is, you know, get your house in order as a business. You know, make sure that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, some of these teams, you have an esports team, make sure it's registered. Um, is there a trademark that you need to look at as part of that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's all of these considerations about getting your, your house in order, getting your business structured appropriately so that we can operate professionally as mm. an industry, as a, as a wide industry. And the more of us and within the industry that do this, um, the industry will grow Um and it supports, and, and you're right, it's all about perception as well. You know, having sponsors come to our um, clients and, you know, be able to offer funding, um, some sort of, they want to see a level of professionalism. Um, they want comfort that, um, you know, for instance, Chris, let's say that, um, you know, someone offered you some funding um, or any sort of business within this industry. Um, they want to know that, let's say, here's $10,000 we provide for the team to go traveling. We want to see maybe our logos on your shirts and everything of the sort. But what happens if midway through the year, due to lack of insurance, the company collapses? Um, these are the considerations that sponsors and investors are always looking for. They want to see how professional uh, the business is, and more importantly, how protected everyone is. Mm. Because if everyone's protected, we all do better for it. Yeah, and I guess talking in generalist terms, is mm. the sponsorship, or sorry, is the amount that's paid for this insurance relevant to how large the company is? Look, with insurance, especially let's say public liability is probably a good example because a lot in the industry are now aware that they need to get a public liability. Now, public liability, as I mentioned earlier, is to protect everyone else around you. Mm. It looks at your revenue. Okay, so how much revenue you derive from your activities. It also looks at the nature of your industry. Now, these are the two main factors which generally drive premium. Um, now, with public liability, and this is a question we get asked all the time, why would I need one million or do I need five or do I, do I need 10 million or mm. do I need 20 million? And let's talk crazy. Sometimes $60 million is required for some industries. Yeah, okay. So, but why? who, who needs that? Why do you need that limit? Um, this, this is a question which is asked there quite often. Mm. More often than not, um, this is stipulated by your contract. So please come along, play at this event, and it will say you need to turn up with 10 million public liability to cover you, or 20 million. Now, how relevant is that to your premium? It's based on the industry, and it's based on your revenue. So a lot of people in our industry are getting what we call minimum premiums, which is you're kind of going to be looking between, you know, your 700s through to your $2,000 for your minimum premiums within this industry. Mm. And look, whether you take a 1 million, 5, 10, 20, it's really dependent on what you're doing. 
Um, we generally find 10 and 20 is what most of the industry requires for you to turn up to a professional event. Um, you know, for instance, if you want to be at, you know, PAX or, you know, IEM, they require $20 million mm. to have a little stall there. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's a it's an interesting question, that one. Yeah, and we, and we talked a little bit um, prior to recording about that as well, about the intangibleness, if that's even a word, of of the amount. You know, what, what does $20 million equate to? Because... You know, it's it's not something that someone says, oh, you know, I'm just going to go buy $20 million worth of clothes tomorrow or, mm. you know, m- most people don't own $20 million worth of things over their whole lifetime. So, what does that actually equate to? What does that number mean? Well, that's, that's it's a very good look. I think when we look, we talk about public liability um, and we start talking those big figures of $20 million and 40 and even 10, uh, look, the likelihood of being able to claim on, on that whole limit is very, very unlikely. There's only a few examples in Australia where public liabilities have reached that limit. Mm. But the thinking of the industry is we don't want to leave people exposed. What happens if you had a $10 million claim and it turned out, well, you had a $10 million limit and it turned out to be a $15 million claim? That's devastating to any industry. Now, that doesn't equate necessarily to a high premium. For instance, personal trainers in Australia who want to work out in pub, in parks or any public area are required to have $20 million right. in liability cover. Uh, I have seen a case which I've worked on uh, specifically. Now, this was a very specific public liability case for a shop owner where the the awning outside of the shop fell on this person's head. That was a $9.3 million claim. Mm. Um, so, at times it may seem that it's not necessary and 99.9% of you will never make the claim. That is the way it should be. Mm. We do not want to claim on things in the sense of we want to protect the business as best as possible. We want to put all these protections in place. However, if that person does walk under the shop awning or that person does trip at your event, you want to ensure that this is not going to be your headache or destroy your business. Mm. So to say whether it's tangible it really comes down to the nature of the activity and the revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily relate to a massive, massive premium. So that does scare people. Yeah, and yeah. I guess thinking about the business case scenario, it's it's much easier for me to think about, okay, it costs me $700 a year to completely insure this $20,000 vehicle, for example. The numbers are quite similar. But when you're talking about a minimum cover of $700 to cover a $2 million liability, where does the mm. where does it where does the business sense match up there? Is it is it economy of scale? Is it getting a lot of people to be able to cover the, the possible risk of you as a company having to pay out that maximum $2 million? What goes into kind of the business planning behind that? That's, you know what, this is a, it's a very, very good question. Um, when looking at liabilities, it's, and this is where it's so important to understand the industry. So important to understand that you, Chris, as the business owner, how do you interact with people? Mm. Who are you signing contracts with? Um, who are you making responsibilities? All of these, these aspects of your business and how you interact and communicate with all aspects of your industry makes up what your exposure is. Now, mm-hmm. yes, the whole purpose of this is to say that there's anything you put your fingers into or anything where you direct individuals, where there is going to be a sense of, you may say to... A particular client, hey, you know what? You should go off and do that. You should run with that project because that's looking good. I think that's a really good opportunity. And it turns into be a huge financial loss. It's the insurance is there for all those sort of considerations. That's its purpose. Look, insurance doesn't cover criminal acts. That's something I will. So when I say all situations, there are certain terms and conditions of the policy which you've always got to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if you deliberately go out to defraud someone or to give false advice, um, then that's not the intention of insurance. It mm. is just purely there to say, look, someone has a major issue with you and your business. You suddenly start receiving letters from lawyers and we need to get a legal team to start representing your interests to make sure that A, you acted appropriately or whether or not you did. It's more important there to ensure that you've got legal presence and someone there backing you when this happens. Mm. It sounds like a big exercise in de-risk for everyone. This sort of, yeah, yes. kind of seems what it boils down to in total, right? Because, of, you know, I mean, you take the very basic business idea of it. If you're taking $700 and you're paying out $2 million a year, you know, the money doesn't add up then. You're not a business that, or you are a business. You're just losing a lot of money. Um, <laughs> you so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I always like to go back to it as an example. Um, I, I did a lot of work with, with doctors for many years there. And something as simple as maybe, let's say, well, let's use the example of a plastic surgeon yeah. and a cosmetic physician. Okay, now a plastic surgeon can do cosmetic surgery, so can a cosmetic physician. Mm. Now, the difference in their premium is huge. A plastic surgeon is a doctor, has surgical training, then they have to do a number of years of fellowship to allow them to come with you with a scalpel and make you look beautiful or aesthetically pleasing, mm. which is their job. A cosmetic physician is a doctor, but without surgical training. Now, the difference in their premium could be the equivalent of $40,000 for the plastic surgeon. The cosmetic physician training, this is a reality, might be $300,000. Yeah, okay. And why? Because it all comes back to you, the nature of your business, how you conduct your business um, to understand your exposure. And that's yep. why it's hard to understand where insurance comes from. In fact, I'll tell you what, Chris, this is going to be exciting. Later on, I do want to actually mention that we're going to be doing a very large product launch very soon, um, which is our Thunder Electronic um, device insurance. And in effect, we've taken away a lot of the complexities of what insurance has been doing for the last hundreds of years, mm -hmm. and we've made it very, very simple. But we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah, and I, and I guess part of your example then, you know, taking it back to an esports sense would be the difference between um, Ninja, who's sitting in his bedroom, you know, earning multiple million dollars a year while streaming, um, you know, versus an esports player. They're two wildly different things, but you need to be a subject matter expert to understand that the esports player is flying all the time to different events and, you know, their performance is, is at much more of a key than someone like, like Ninja is. Um, and, and they're possibly at more risk if they're going to more events, walking up and down stairs, tripping over things, et cetera. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. That's it's, it's exactly right. And what's the prize money at risk there? Mm. So as a business, you might be targeting five events this year or with 50,000. So that's 250,000 potential money. Mm. Um, another business may be targeting 10,000 K events. Um, so the risk is all dependent on, you know, your business exposure is very much dependent on what you're trying to achieve. Mm. And you, your insurance should reflect your personal exposures. Um, and that's this is the hardest thing to always explain and educate our industry. It's, you know, you, you might get a call and say, oh, how much will it cost to do this? And it's like, well, let me understand who you are, what you do, because I need to make sure that fits you. And if it doesn't, I'm not doing my job. Mm. And so sometimes we do have to ask questions. And look, um, my business partner, Yale and myself, we get on the phone quite often together um, with our clients because we find it's the best way to really break down and understand the exposure best so that we know how to approach this for you. Mm. And where does, where does the education journey start for an esports startup founder? How do they go to start getting any of this information? Well, that's, that's a very good point. Um, with, I mean, obviously, we're a point of call. Okay. And yes, I am... Um, 
representing Thunder Insurance today. And you can give myself, Paul Cowley, or E.L. Maclis a call at any time. I think a lot of this is just asking the right questions of the right people. Um, anyone with an insurance background, you can always question. Mm-hmm. Talk to other people in the industry. What are they doing to protect their interests? Um, one thing I love about this industry is that a lot of people are willing to share that advice and that professional advice. And it's something which has been very inclusive, something which we've really, really appreciated coming into this industry. Um, we've had to learn. Um, Anyone that you meet to say that they understand everything um, is, is a concern. There is so much to learn as a, um, even as a business owner myself um, mm-hmm. and Yael, like we've had to, we've had to understand how to run our business in an effective way. And every day we are learning. Um, same with insurance. So I think the thing is, it's the first point of call is, where do you want to go with your business? Have a strategy with your business and then come to terms with trying to understand what your exposures is and what you want to do about it. And of course, mm. give us a call whenever you wish. And what what's the process like for your underwriters? And can you explain how that back end how that back end works um, as as part of the answer to this question? But the educational process for them do mm. do they just? And I guess this this goes back to and you're probably going to give some very similar answers to working with traditional brands and everyone's trying to bring in non endemics into esports, etc. But mm. how many of them just put in the two hard baskets? Because obviously, if, if insurance is all about de-risking things and they just don't understand whatsoever, is it quite often you get thrown in the too hard basket and they say, we'll look at it in 10 years? What you would find from the service that we're offering right now, just so you're aware, is an insurance broking service. So we go to the existing insurance market, just to be clear here, mm-hmm. and we look at existing products that exist in that market and we make changes to those policies for our market. Mm-hmm. Now, yes... When we initially started this process, it was a too hard basket. A lot of underwriters just thought, well, look, I don't understand what esports is, purely and simply. And the second they hear professional sports or they hear the word sports, you got put into a completely different basket of risk. So we've had to spend a lot of time um, building our relationships, you know, specific with underwriters. So we have people that do specifically public liability. We have people that do specifically cyber liability exposures. We have underwriters as well who do specifically management liability for professional sports teams. Now, this is very, very important um, when understanding that one underwriter will not write risks for everything. So you've essentially got to find a a certain fit within the industry. And this is what we do. We go to the market. Sometimes we're we're talking with London. Sometimes we're talking with Europe. We'll talk anywhere in the world, Singapore, all of Australia, Mm -hmm. um, to try and ensure we get the best possible terms for our industry. Um, It takes a lot of pushing. It takes a lot of cajoling. Um, In fact, a lot of it has been about trying to really um, ensure that the insurance industry sees how big the gaming industry is now and where it's going to be in 10 years' time. Mm. That's starting to catch on. And we're starting to see that, as you know, Chris, with sponsors that are coming and big car sponsors coming along. That's a reflection of this understanding. So that's what we've had to do. We've had to build these relationships. Um, and often we have to have arguments with underwriters to ensure we get exactly what we want for our client. Yeah, yeah. And, do I, and I guess it's, you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times now and it seems interesting that, you know, esports is for me kind of the combination of sport and entertainment. And it sounds like in the past, some insurers have set it as entertainment, which means that the premiums and such are probably lower and the risks are lower compared to when they start throwing it in the sports basket when risks become so much higher because of the physicality and the nature of injury and 
touch around that. So a lot of it is, like you were saying about your job, to kind of navigate, to kind of, uh, you know, walk on the tightrope between the two canyons <laughs> through the centre to find the right, yeah, the right yeah. things as a subject matter expert. No, you're exactly right. Exactly right. And this is where the last um, two years of building our business that EL and myself have really gone to. We've mm. had to get into the head of our clients so that we truly understand this exposure. Here's an example. From a public liability um, position or from a position of, um, you know, a sports individual hurting themselves, yes, yeah. esports should sit on the lower end. However, from a directors and officers or what we call management liability type exposure, mm-hmm. you're a professional sports team. You have very similar exposures to other professional sports. Why? We call it contractual exposures. So mm-hmm. you have a commitment to your players um, to, you know, you sign on and say you're now going to be part of said gaming team. Um, now, breaches of those contracts, which we've seen in all professional sports, has yeah. meant it's become a hugely um, exposed part of the industry. So Cricket Australia has had some major claims made against them, um, as well as the teams themselves. Um, we've seen the same in basketball. We've seen the same in soccer, um, AFL. And so those types of exposures are still very similar because they're contractual exposures. So, yes, I think, um, under, and I will say this, we were able to get an underwriter to accept that, to accept covering management liability exposures uh, within Australia for esports teams. That is generally excluded. So yeah. um, we're actually quite proud of that. Good. And what's the, you know, what's what's the process within internal with you guys with setting up your relationship with these people? Does it look like, um, you know, the traditional sponsorship relationship where you're, you know, reaching out through mutual contacts, cold reaching out, calling them, and then and then contract discussion happens after that. And what's the what's the time frame for these kind of things to generally take place? Now, are you talking with people in the gaming industry or with the insurance? with the underwriters and, and oh, staying with the on the side? Um, look, with with the underwriter, it's all everything's about relationship. Um, so it does require, from our perspective, we we usually have to um, draft up large papers, um, which gives us a real breakdown of what the industry is. How many people are in this industry? What sort of revenue it's deriving? Because they yeah, want to okay. see, is this a type of exposure we're going to see 20, 30 times a year? We need to know whether or not there's enough business for us to engage with you. So what EL and I have done is we've, through all our research and understanding where this industry is, what the exposures are, um, look, that can take anywhere from sometimes a good quick relationship, maybe a week, to get a good arrangement in place with an underwriter, to mm. two years. And that is a reality. Um, sometimes risks are very scary or get put into the too, um, too hard basket. Yeah. Um, we got knocked back many, many times saying, oh, we want to cover an esports team. No. That, we're talking tens and tens of insurers and underwriters across the world that just refuse to do business with this industry. But you know what? We eventually got a number of leads and we've been able to create specific policies for our industry. Um, so, yeah, one week to two years, um, depending on your relationship. Yeah, and I guess yeah. you just got to find the right people and the ones yeah. who get it, right? I, I find this all the time talking to anyone from politicians to companies. You know, some doesn't matter how old they are or where they come from or what their experience is, some people just don't get it and some people get it straight away. And, you know, it was part of our. You know, it's part of our raising here at Big. It was the same thing. You know, we had one person who's who's older than the rest of the investors that are involved with us, but he got it straight away. You know, he was like, "This is I see. This is the future. This is esports. I understand it instantly." Mm. Whereas, you know, a lot of the time with brands, you go to them and they just go, "No." Like, you know, the person might be twenty eight years old, and they go, "Just no. I just don't get it. and I don't want to get it." 
I think you've got it. You've got it. And do you know what's wonderful about this? And I think it's a really good example. At a couple of the meetings that we had with some very large insurers and underwriters around the world, you'd be sitting around a table with 10, 12 people. There will always be two hardcore gamers. Yeah. In that room. Yeah. And just by a quick little bit of an introduction, they would off you know, quite honestly, um, would, you know, volunteer, look, I'm a League of Legends fan. You know, my my favourite um, team is this. And, and mm. quite, you know, through our papers and sort of explaining what the industry, they go, we know who that is. We follow that team here. So yeah. this is this is something which I think we've also got to recognise. There's, there's, there's enough of us in around that love gaming anyway. And it's winning. it is winning over the right people. Yeah, I've had that happen before. It feels almost like the resistance rising up. <laughs> the game is resistance. We were in a meeting um, talking to quite a, quite a large Australian company about influencers. I was particularly as this part of the meeting, and um, you know they they kind of started creating an echo chamber on their side. You know they obviously didn't quite understand it, and they were kind of explaining why it didn't quite interest them. But for me, I could tell they they just weren't quite understanding the whole relationship. And then I think there was about four of them. And then one person was quite quiet, and and in, and at the end he went, guys, you have no idea what you're talking about. I've been following this streamer <laughs> for like six years. I only buy things that they tell me to buy. I've been following this esports team. I don't watch normal TV. He just blew. I could see their their minds just got absolutely blown open. It was great for us, obviously, as a business trying to pitch these people to yeah. get into the space. But you're right; it's almost like this underground resistance. And when that guy started speaking, I was like, yes, <laughs> like, thankfully, <laughs> Thank you for being yeah, here. thankfully this guy was in this meeting because. You know, they just weren't quite understanding. And it's, yeah. it, you know, it's all part of the new age. It's part of industries and pivoting. And, you know, obviously biz- big businesses can't pivot, which is why startups exist. Well, they can, but it's quite slow. It's like turning a massive shift, right? Yeah. Uh, look, I think I think you're exactly right. And, um, and it, look, I, I think the more awareness that we can give from all aspects of the industry, um, you know, like what's very important to Thunder Insurance is, is that we need to support this industry as much as possible. Mm. Um by supporting the industry through, um, A, pointing you in the right direction. It may not be that we, we need to sell you insurance. It's not about that. That's not what we're always intending on doing. What we want to do is we want to um, give it the helpful advice where we can, um, well, business advice, you know, especially being a startup ourselves and what we've gone through to get to this point. If there's more teams and there's more um, profitable businesses out there, there's more, more business for everyone. And that's really, really important. And I do want to emphasise that point. Um, so if people do did contact EL or myself, it's not necessarily going to be a case of, oh, we're going to suddenly sell you travel insurance or anything of the sort. No, no, no. We want to understand where you're at in your journey and see if there's something that we can help you with. And if that's free advice, we do this all the time. And it's really important that we do that. And what's the what's the decision process like for you and EL starting up Thunder from a start? Like, I mean, for me, um, you know, as, as entrepreneurs yourself, the standard is you, you have a gap in the market that you see or you have a challenge that you're facing or both are combined together, you go and fix it. Like when I was a semi-pro Counter-Strike player, there wasn't enough live events, so I went and made a live event and I played in it at the same time. So did you have a similar process, leaving, you know, kind of a cushy, um, very traditional industry to starting off something yourself? Look, there was there was definitely a point. In fact, Al and I came to a, a similar realisation at exactly the same time and we uh, we had worked together for a number of years at a prior business. And so we are actually having this conversation. And so look, from my personal perspective, Thunder Insurance and the what we noticed was, yes, there was a gap in the market. Okay, mm. so like with any business, what's the issue that you're trying to resolve? Yep. Um, so the gap was that there was an exposure to this industry. Um, people weren't seeking, well, 
when they were seeking insurance, they weren't necessarily getting the right insurance or weren't aware that they needed insurance because, as we were just saying previously, you just say, oh, I'm part of esports, people glaze over. Mm. Some people do. That would be, and that would be a hellish scenario in the fact where you thought you had insurance, something went wrong, and you and you insurance doesn't cover you because it's the wrong type. I can imagine as a business owner that that would be the absolute worst case scenario. And I can see, I can realistically see that happening. It, it, it's devastating. It's it's devastating. And look, one of the things that we see, you know, working in insurance, that um, it, it's a bit of a grudge buy. People don't want to buy insurance, but. Mm. Obviously, there is a great need for it, hence why we're talking about it today. Yeah. Um, but when there is a claim, wow, you become the best friend of your client, um, especially when you resolve it. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's why it's important getting to know your client. It's like a necessary evil, I guess, it, as people see it as. It is a necessary evil. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's funny that I'm talking about insurance today because when I was in my teens, you know, I used to be a professional actor. I, I used to tour Australia. I used to do movies. And I never would have thought I would have fallen into insurance. Um, in fact, I used to tour with um, doing Shakespeare with a, with a company called Bell Shakespeare Company, mm. and I love the words. And I fell in love with policy wording, um, and I find it a bit Shakespearean per se. And mm. so it's been a very interesting journey understanding insurance, and be, but more importantly, being able to apply it to an industry I really, really am interested in. Yeah, um, yeah, gaming's gaming something that we, you know, I personally do in my 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 time with my kids. Unfortunately, there's a bit too much Minecraft at the moment. Um, so if there's any suggestions after this for anything that a 10-year-old would want to play, um, I'd be all for that, by the way. Fantastic. Not on the Fortnite train then, stuck, <laughs> in, stuck in Minecraft. <laughs> Not on the Fortnite train at, no. at this stage. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting point you, you raise about um, taking an industry you never thought you would have worked in but making it for you, and that's something. And I guess I'd, I don't try to get too self-helpy um, or you know, personal development with the podcast or with the um, business courses that we run. But it's a very interesting fact to me personally that people talk about all the time is making things fun for you. You know, a job often is as exciting as you make it, and it sounds really cliche because it's often a thing that an old person will say, who's most likely your parent, to say, "Oh, you know, go do the washing up and smile while you do it. It's much more fun." But it does work. You know, if mm. if you can take an industry that you're very excited about. Um, and if, no matter how boring it is, but if you can tailor it towards what you want to do, fantastic. You know, let's say you're the biggest movie fan on the planet, and then all of a sudden you start, you know, underwriting um, Hugh Jackman directly, and you get to go to his movies as a result because you have to look at the set. Like, there you go, fantastic. You've just taken a very traditional and seemingly boring industry, and you're currently standing next to your childhood star, and you're watching him act in person. You know, it's, it can be fantastic. Oh, exactly, exactly. And I, I think what you're right, it's you need to feel like you're working towards a purpose. Mm. Um, in, in any sort of job that we have and look there's always going to be boring parts of every job um, that's just the reality of doing jobs you know I mean as you know being a business owner just the paperwork um, yeah tax you know, tax insurance insurance yeah. I mean oh, dealing with those people yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah fantastic it can be very taxing yeah um, <laughs> and the thing and the thing that I like to think about too is there's always a job for someone and someone's getting paid to do something. So when I was a lot lazier, especially like around year 11, when I was like 16, 17, I remember thinking specifically, and this just came back to me, I remember thinking there's a whole bunch of people that work for the government that get paid $80,000 a year to do absolutely nothing. How do I become that person? You know, how do I turn up to work, log on to Reddit and Facebook, do nothing all day, go home and collect my paycheck? Mm. And you can take that same mentality and think, well, there's someone that's getting paid out there to manage a streamer. 
And sometimes that streamer has got so much residual income coming in that they tell their manager, I don't care. I don't want to do a sponsorship contract. So you're getting basically free money from this streamer because they're your mate and you've signed them onto a contract. So why not be that person if you want to work in management and you want to work with streamers or similar with esports teams, depending on how lazy or how active you want to be. You know, I I read a, I read a really, and this is a massive diversion, but I read a really interesting thing in the entrepreneur subreddit of a guy who was working, he was working in a boring white collar job. Um, he had to take three months kind of paid leave from work because there was some internal thing where they lost a contract and they were trying to pin it on him but not have him there, confusing scenario. So he literally went and, and started working with people who were providing private security um, to stop pirates from from jumping on people's ships. So they were hiring mercenaries and doing all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, wow. if that interests you and it's legal, someone someone's making money out of doing that. <laughs> you know, there's there's a job for everyone doing everything. You know, there's people that clean toenails for a living. If you want to do that, fine. Like, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. So you, you kind of have to find your fit. And and while it mightn't come straight away, you know, you were you were working for 20 years before doing something like this. You know, I, I worked in pa- what I call parallel industries for about eight years. We were kind of verging on esports, but not quite. But if you've got that long-term goal in mind that you yeah. go, okay, here's my ship jumping point, and that n- won't always be clear. You know, for me, I had a very cliche movie moment of I was literally doing yoga in Queensland and then said, I'm going to quit my job. Now's the time <laughs> That's while listening story. to Pink Floyd, you know, <laughs> not even on any substances, just in the, in the morning on the beach in Redcliffe, fantastic place of the world. But, you know, you don't always know when that jump ship moment's going to be or when it's going to come around. But if you've got that pie in the sky idea, and we talk about this a bit in our uh, education course in a fundamentals of esports course is that it's good to have, especially in the industry, kind of loose goals. Like I wouldn't suggest having um, exact goals and I'm going to earn exactly this much by this year or have this many employees and my company is going to be this size, win mm. this many tournaments because it's highly unlikely you won't be doing that in 10 years. You might be doing something completely different. Um, do you find similar with Thunder? Like how do you set, how, how did you set your company goals from the beginning in, until into the future? Do you have short, medium term, you know, long term goals? You're exactly right. Look, we we do, and we did. And I, I think the one key takeaways that we had, um, Eyal and I, first when we, we looked at this problem, and this is word of advice to anyone setting up a business, um, write mm. yourself a business plan. It, it's amazing going through that journey of writing the business plan that you understand the issue. Is there a market for you? Um, is there really, um, are we a bit early to the party or we, we yeah. come in at exactly the right time? What's, your, what's the competitive market? You know, what... What is available out there for you to conduct your business? So, yes, we set short, medium, and long-term goals, but you have to be flexible. Okay, the the market or the market that you wish to engage with or the, the clients won't necessarily respond in the way that you expect them to respond. You need to be able to tailor your approach um, almost on a weekly basis. Uh, in fact, El and I quite often, at the end of the week, we have a special moment, half hour, where we recap. What did that week mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, what could have been done differently and where are we going? So it's a bit like what you're talking about with your ship. Where is the business going? And you've got to allow your ship to navigate and change its waters um, because that's just the nature of the industry. It is dynamic. All industries, well, I would say just openly, most industries are quite dynamic. Um, the changes in the workforce have been dramatic in the last decades. Yeah. Um, and the way in which we engage with that, you've got to be flexible and willing to. So, yes, we, we change our, um, our long-term goals quite often and our short-term. And what are, what are some of the major roadblocks that you're experiencing currently in the market? Is there anything that you think that's holding you back mainly from growth, whether you can work through it or you can't find a way at the moment? Look, I think it's when um, we're, we're insurers. 
can you imagine some, someone knocking on your door saying, hi, we're from an insurance company? Um, the experience mm-hmm. that we get from the gaming industry at this stage is um, sometimes people don't know what our value is, so therefore they can be quite dis- dismissive towards us, which I don't blame them. Yeah. It, insurance has over hundreds of years played an incredible role in society. Okay, It has played an incredible role. You'll never see skyscrapers like you, you do in any city in the world if it wasn't for insurance. Um, we're a grudge buy, but... When people do understand the value that we've got, and this is, the, this is what we've found with the industry, we've found word of mouth has been very beneficial to say, you know what, give the guy, talk to the guys. Um, well, talk to the team at Thunder. Um, you may find that uh, it'll be a beneficial com- conversation. And why not have a, you know, a short conversation with a broker, whether it's us, whether it's someone else in the industry that you feel can offer you that, that advice. Do that now rather than in three, four years' time, you find yourself in a position where if I'd had that five-minute conversation, um, I, A, I'm not looking at a terrible claim, um, or um, I might have put myself into a position to really leverage the business going forward. Mm. So, um, so this is what we found. Word of mouth in this industry is very important. People do talk. Everyone seems to know everyone. Mm. It's been great. Um, but it took a long time to get the trust of the industry. Uh, yep. It certainly wasn't quick. And I guess if you, you know, my my kind of addition to that is if you need a lawyer, accountant, and insurer, you may as well make one that you get along with. <laughs> you may as well find one that you enjoy, right? That's that's a, yeah. that's right. We're, we're also humans. And it's and it's all part of, you know, I find this is a massive part of startups and part of new industry. It's about customer service. It's about understanding your clients. It's about having a personal relationship, working back and forward, being relatable, understanding market trends but also social trends you know whether it's political whether it's whether it's you know to do with the current climate that's happening etc yeah but that's a lot of part of this new thing which is why you're seeing um esports accountants esports insurance agencies esports lawyers etc because um you know they're just much more fresh they're exciting yeah. to talk to they're not just you know straight back suited up people all the time um and there's someone that you can relate to a little bit more back and forward and it's so like I, I guess I liken it once again back to like this underground gaming revolution of, of all these gaming people are saying, mm. well, I don't care about the traditional market. Um, it's kind of a rebellious streak in the fact that, you know, I don't care about traditional sports people saying esports isn't a sport because I don't know mm. who they are. Yeah, I don't watch them. They've got 5,000 Twitter followers. They're on Channel 7, Channel 9, 10 traditional mediums that I don't watch anymore. There's so. always going to be detractors. Um, and I think that's one of actually the big things you really highlighted here, which is something that we noticed. Mm. A lot of our industry is not engaged with traditional media, full stop. And yeah. as you said, Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10. I mean, just just personally in my household, we don't have any commercial television, full stop. Mm. We've got access to Netflix. We've got Twitch. Um, we, we do a lot of streaming. Uh, but we actually we haven't had television in our house for over five years. Might sound boring, boring, but we've actually got um, a lot of gaming consoles linked to our equipment, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect, and and that's the you know that's the adage of pretty much everyone we talk to, right? Like for me, it's been about ten years since I watched commercial TV, besides maybe mm. my parents or grandparents' house every now and then. Um, and it's the same as the streaming services; it's how you get your products. And that was like that brand that I was talking about before. You know, they're a big spender in traditional media, but the the last guy was saying, look, what you don't understand is that. By sponsoring these influencers, you're not reaching the same audience again. These, you're, these is a brand new audience that people are growing up not even listening to radio or, or TV. You know, and for me, I always thought, you know, okay, radio, maybe that's something that'll never die. But now mm. I listen to podcasts every single day. 
and the yeah. fact that, you know, now I'm commuting to work, not working at home anymore, that, you know, I've been able to listen to things like the Joe Rogan podcast, the Jocko podcast, you know, and then various business and esports related ones myself. And that's all I consume now. And do you know what's really interesting you say about the podcasting? Um, PwC did a very, very interesting study on this. It is one of the largest growing, um, you know, media um, communication tools in the world right now. Yeah. And that... That shocked me because, I mean, look, I did listen to podcasts and I've been listening to podcasts for quite some time. Um, but it's just amazing to see that this is one of the largest growing spaces in the world. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't have anticipated that years ago either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, the easy the easy part, I think, for me as someone who's running a podcast, because you're on it right now, is the fact mm. that it's not it's not too difficult. It doesn't take a high amount of production. It takes the ability and understanding for you to base, do the basic marketing to set up the digital assets, which is quite easy. Anyone can make a Facebook page, et cetera. Mm. Um, and the ways that the distribution happens now are super easy. Um, there's some equipment you have to purchase, yes, but there are cheap options. Um, and then you just kind of need to have an idea of who your guest is, do a little bit of research and you jump into it. It's not the same as creating a whole TV show and needing the, all of the crew and signing the contracts oh. with the extra insurance even and all this kind of stuff. It's quite easy to turn on a microphone as long as you can talk and you're confident and you understand the market and what you're talking about. And you have something to talk about because obviously everyone Important. thinks that they're funny and should have a podcast, <laughs> which is maybe not true. Um, that, yeah, it's it's not too hard to turn on some microphones, get someone interesting and, and have a chat to them about things. So true. No, you're exactly right. It's, um, it's been a pleasure, actually. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So I guess wrapping this up a little bit more, what's the, what are you excited about in the industry? What are, what are some developments that, that Thunder's looking at closely, whether you're going to you know, use it as a business case scenario to push yourself into that market or just esports business in general? Okay, no, that's it. Well, look, what, what I might quickly, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, is that mm. we've been, um, Eyal and myself have been working uh, hard on bringing to the market uh, a retail insurance product, um, which is specific for people that have electronic items, that have their laptops, that have all their gaming game gear, like we're talking your consoles, your desktops, um, you know, the stuff that matters to you, your big TV, um, everything mm. that I need to game, including your, your ergonomic keyboards, um, your razors, your Alienware, everything that's specific to gaming, we've now created an insurance product which is specific for that mm. in four packages. Um, so what we do is we take the complexity out of what you're getting. We just say, you know what, you get accidental ca um, coverage for your Switch or your Xbox, your desktop, anywhere in Australia. So it doesn't matter if you take it out of your home. This is something that's not often provided by your home and contents policies. Yeah, but okay. more importantly, a lot of our younger, um, you know, our millennials, um, anyone that's moved out of home, have gone to university, um, you may find that your only assets you have are your electronics, which actually mean a lot to you. And I found myself in a position where that was essentially the assets I had. I actually went to the market to try and get cover for it. It was extortionate, the rates that I was offered. So look, Thunder, so we're calling the um, the Thunder Electronic Device Insurance Policy. We're issuing this in the next six weeks. This will come to market. Anytime you buy a new electronic item, your laptop or anything, jump online, have a look at thunderinsurance.com.au, what we can do for you. And you'll find this is a complete, completely unique, very cheap policies that start at $50 a year. Um, to cover your, your gaming stuff. So, look, we're very excited about that. That took us two years to put into place after many, many knockbacks. And we did that because uh, we just felt that the baby boomers were the only ones being provided insurance that actually met their needs, and our young industry certainly didn't. 
Now, when it comes to the rest of the industry, what we're really excited in seeing, there's two two major aspects that we've been focusing on, obviously esports. Um, we're loving seeing the prize money go up for a lot of the events, almost exponentially year on year. And yeah. this is very exciting because it means that we've got more opportunities for more teams to come in and join. It creates more of a, a, a dynamic um fan base which i think is so important um yeah we really feel that the the industry has really taken off in the last 12 months that's that's what we're really excited about in addition to that we also look after game developers and game development in this country it's it hasn't had much exposure but some of the games that have been developed out of this country are incredible um the ability for our Australian-based game developers to suddenly get onto platforms, onto Steam, you know, they can still be located here in Australia and yet have a worldwide presence. It's just been incredible. And yes, we've got a number of clients who are game developers. Um, and I didn't ask permission to, to mention their names today, so unfortunately I won't. Um, but we're incredibly impressed with the quality of the material that's been coming out. Mm. So in general, it's just, it's been an absolute hoot. Um we're hoping there's going to be more industry parties, by the way. Um, please invite <laughs> us along. <laughs> more than happy to turn up and talk about risk, but uh, also come along and socialise as well. So, uh, Chris, I must say it's it's been one of the best decisions career-wise that um, EL and I made to join this industry, and um, we're in it for the long haul, so you'll probably see a lot of us. Yeah, and I guess it's it's going back to like what you were saying. You need to if, – if you want to market in this area um, – if you want to sponsor anyone in this area, you need to have some sort of fundamental or basic understanding of the market. You need to engage with an agency or, or person or people that understand and can help guide you. And that's even more so important in insurance in the fact when you're talking about, you know, 5, 10, 20, $60 million in some examples, right? Yeah. So it's, it's good to see that, you know, you guys have embedded yourself in the market first, done your research, and then you've gone into that area. Because for me, um, you know, as a consultant in that space, doing a lot of strategy with companies that are looking to enter the market, this is the, that's kind of the pie in the sky, what I tell them all to do. And this is some free advice for anyone listening as well, that if you've got a company that's interested in getting into the market, you need to educate them first. And that's what we talk about in almost every podcast, but I haven't brought that to the forefront as much. But it's first and foremost is about the education process, getting people to mm. understand the gen even just the basics of the market, because then they know what they're purchasing. The worst thing is to keep someone completely in the dark. This has happened in Australia and it's happened overseas plenty of times where a sponsor, investor, whoever has come into the market, um, you know, a PR company or a consultant or an agency has said, you know what, let me take care of that. I'll do everything for you. You can, you can stay over here. But then the person that's purchasing, that's buying, whether it's the sponsor or whoever else, has no idea what the market value is. They don't know what they're getting into. They don't know if they're getting a good deal or a bad deal. Um, and then it's easy for them to make up their own minds that, no, nah, this deal's terrible. I'm paying $5 CPM. But little do they know that you should educate them. The $5 CPM is fantastic like, <laughs> in this industry. Like it's, and, and, you know, depending on where you are, it might be, and that's just an example, but it's the same. And I guess, you know, if you're working in the insurance space, like we've talked about, some of the gist I've really got from this conversation is, A, a lot of it's about de-risk. B, it's a lot about educating. But for you, yeah. you're sitting in the middle. You're trying to educate both of the parties on both sides of these things. C, once again, it's about de-risk, but D, it's about being relatable to your market. It's something that people don't think about until they really need it. It's it's kind of a necessary evil that comes along with, you know, having an accountant and a lawyer, but mm. once things do go wrong, they become your best friends, and if they're able to, to pull some strings and make things happen for you, um, that's always a fantastic way. And look, if, if nothing else, I would say as a, 
you know, as a person who's trying to grow esports in Australia, insurance companies are gigantic. So get into their pockets and start talking to them. Yeah. Maintain a good relationship with them and then sell them a sponsorship package <laughs> and start working with them. Or, you know, so many of these insurance companies and super companies have investment arms as well. So if you're looking to raise capital, make friends with people who make a lot of money because it's perfect. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's very likely you're interested in the business side. It's also very likely that you're an esports startup founder or interested in starting an esports company or being an employee yourself. So start making friends with people in high places because you'll be if you can offer something to them, you know, that's the easiest way to get in the door. And if you're just a, an undergraduate that's trying to start working at, at um, you know, Chartered Accountants Australia, it's hard for you to make a mark on someone who's high up. But if you're a 19-year-old whiz kid who knows everything about the esports market, if you can start chatting to these senior people and go, mm. hey, here's a brand new revenue stream that you're not looking into. Okay, well, you're young, but I don't care because you're going to provide me so much information. And you can actually provide something to them, not just take something from them. No, you're exactly right. In fact, I think you've really hit it on the head, Chris. There's... Uh, a lot of very senior executives and people very high up um, in many industries know that in the next 10 years, the millennials are going to control $2 out of every three that's spent in the industry. So are these traditional industries, like you're talking the large insurers, um, the very large multinational groups, are they having a conversation with our industry? Look, I would say, um, especially with the gaming industry, no, they're not. Um, and so there is a great opportunity here um, for all these business owners to, to approach the traditional media and say, you're not having a conversation with your future market. Yeah. And that is a reality. And um, there's no fallacy in that at all. Um, and it's something that really was a bit of a watershed moment for Eyal and I was when we realized how I won't use, I don't like using the word disconnected. I would say it's just not connected with traditional uh, mediums. And yeah. that's really important to emphasize. Um, it doesn't mean that these individuals are disconnected from society. No, 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 no. They're just connected in a completely different um, fashion to what most um, gray haired executives are expecting. Mm. Um, you know, that's why they love to sponsor the grand final day they think everyone's going to watch the grand final or the Super Bowl in America. But this is a yeah. great statistic, Chris. I think you'd, you'd love this. During the Super Bowl last year in America, which is considered the most expensive advertising um, piece in the world, guess how much Twitch dropped during the actual viewership of Super Bowl? How much? 3%. Oh, wow. So when you've got 67 million people online and it only drops by 3%, that tells you you've got a whole market that isn't watching traditional media. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just word of advice to to the industry. Get out there, get to know this industry, um, not just our industry, the insurance industry. And by the way, we're insurance brokers, so we're here here to help you navigate with these big, large, ugly conglomerates. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely good good advice, Chris. Yeah. So if if someone wants to follow yourself and your company online, where can they do so? Oh, they, well, look, we are also uh, on Facebook. Uh, you're more than welcome to uh, friend us on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram. Uh, we're also on, on Twitter. And we will be launching um, a, a new arena very soon, a new channel through uh, Mogul Esports, um, which I'm not sure if anyone here is aware, but this is a space which is coming into Australia, uh, which is going to be paid tournaments. So if you, you can enter with a team and you can actually win uh, prize money. So uh, Thunder Insurance will also have a presence on Mogul Esports platform mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be seeing a release of that. In, and if you, yeah, if you like us on social media, you'll get some of these updates and see what we're doing. Um, but mind you, we won't just constantly talk insurance on these spaces. Uh, we often just really like to highlight 
things of interest to our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least that way, you'll, you'll understand what developments are happening which are relevant to you from an insurance space for your needs. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thanks once again for coming in. It's been a really interesting chat. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, It's been a lovely morning, I yeah. have to say. And just on a quick note, happy birthday to Eyal. I know it's your birthday today, buddy. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So thank you and, and thanks listeners for listening in. This has been episode number 27 of the Big Esports podcast with Thunder Insurance. Make sure you head to bigesports.gg forward slash 27. That's the numbers 274. Any of the show notes or links to what we've talked about today. Thanks and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports.gg. Today's podcast and all of Season 1 and Season 2 has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.